Welcome back, friends, to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. I am your host, Carrie Mechie Lozano. Welcome to season two. I can't wait to share what we have planned for season two with everyone. And we are going to start off with a bang. We are doing a series on all things Montessori. Maria Montessori's work very much was the undergirding of the work that Sofia Cavalletti and Gianna Gobi did with the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So exploring Montessori and her philosophies helps us to better understand the work that we are doing today. So that's what we are going to be doing for this first set of podcast episodes in season two. We will be diving into some of Montessori's philosophies, such as planes of development and cosmic education, etc. But to start this season off, we are going to explore the history of Maria Montessori and her work. A good episode that goes along with this topic really well is episode 28. It's called Montessori's Epiphany with Sherry Mock. So today we are going to be looking at this whole timeline of Montessori's life and all of her work. But episode 28, it really just takes one moment of that timeline, January 6, 1907. And it goes into very beautiful details of that specific day of her life. So after you listen to today's episode, go back and check out episode 28. So today, we have Carol Dittberner join us on the podcast. Carol has been trained in India as a Montessorian, and then she was trained by Sophia Cavalletti in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And she has since traveled the globe doing formations and living out what she learned. She is an amazing woman with amazing stories to tell us about who Maria Montessori was. I hope you enjoy. Well, Carol, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today, our very first episode of season two. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Carol, would you tell us a little bit about who you are and your involvement with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd? Well, it's a great story, actually, and totally unexpected. Um, I was raised in Catholic school, Catholic high school, and I worked in different jobs for a while, office jobs, because I didn't want to start college. Uh, But my husband, I was married in 1970, and my husband had a job at a Montessori school, and he was an assistant. And he was an assistant to an Indian directress. So her name was Niranjana. And in those days, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, uh, Montessori schools in the United States were bringing people over from India and Sri Lanka because there was a shortage of Montessori teachers. And so in the Twin Cities here, we still have several schools that were started in the late 60s, early 70s by uh, women who came from overseas, uh, especially India and Sri Lanka. So, uh, yes. And so we had a friend, developed a friendship, of course, with Mira. And I was at that time an electroencephalography technician, a brainwave tech, brain, brainwave technician. For short, it's called EEG. <laughs> and um, I loved my job. I 
had done that also three years. And then it was actually my husband who wanted to become certified as a Montessori guide. And he looked around at different training centers and he wrote to uh, Canada. There was one in Toronto. There was one in D.C. There was one in London. And our Indian friends kept saying, well, go to India. Why don't you go to India? Because Mr. Yostin, who was the trainer there, was uh, trained by Montessori. And he was the best. And so we finally decided it was the right thing to go to India. And my plan was to go, and we were there for a year, about 11 months. Uh, I was going to do charity work and study Indian dance and Indian uh, sewing, you know, mirror work, things like that. Mm -hmm. But we got to India, and the class was 100 students from many different countries besides India. Wow. The class was in English. And what was very odd is that the people who needed Hindi translations had to pay a little extra for that, <laughs> which made no sense to us, of course. But anyway, we started the course, and and it was monsoon season, so I was stuck in this little um, apartment we had, and it was raining, 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 and so... Mm -hmm. I was getting kind of paranoid and I was invited to just go to the course so I could speak English to mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm. And as I listened to Mr. Yostin, I was just totally inspired. Wow. And I had no plan of taking the training. It was all for Larry. But Mr. Yostin made everyone feel like you could save the world if you could save the children through education. And he was from the Netherlands. Uh, his mother was trained by Maria Montessori. Wow. And he was he grew up in Montessori schools. And then he became what was called Montessori's representative in India. So he and a team traveled around the country because the Indian people didn't travel like we do easily here in the United States. So they would have a course in Hyderabad and then they'd have a course in Calcutta like for two years. And then the city we went to was called Ahmedabad, mm -hmm. which was in the state of Gujarat. So then they said, well, why don't you audit the course? Because by that time I found out I couldn't do charity work because I wasn't represented by a, a charity. Mm -hmm. I was there on my own and there's mm -hmm. all kinds of le legal stuff about that. So, um, why don't you audit the course? Because someday you'll be a parent. Um, <laughs> and so I started going every day. And then they said, well, why don't you just take the whole course and then you'll be a Montessori guide? <laughs> so it was quite a, a slow hill for me. But, you know, it was just fascinating. And I thought, okay, I'll do this. So what was really odd is uh, there were two couples in the course, our, myself and my husband and a couple from Malaysia. We all had to make our own books, our own albums, our own botany cards, mm -hmm. our own geometry cards. We couldn't make one set for a married couple. couple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so halfway through the year, we were both offered positions at a Montessori school back here in St. Paul. And that's where my life changed. And a year later, in so we returned in 74, in 75, 
Sophia came and gave the first course of catechesis in St. Paul, Minnesota, which was partly orchestrated by Mr. Yostin. He, of course, knew all the Montessori people at the time, and mm-hmm. when he would go home to the Netherlands, he would stop in Rome and see Sofia and wow. Silvana and um, Adele Kostinjoki, people like that he used to know. Um, anyway, he convinced uh, Sofia to come, and so the first course was five weeks long, and it was all three levels. All three levels in one summer, mm-hmm. like one time? Yes. Oh, Wow. But it wasn't the amount of materials that we have now or the amount of presentations Mm, because so much has been added. But, oh, I mean, yeah, it was intense. (laughs) (laughs) It was very intense. We had about 30 people, a large group from Mexico, uh, Mrs. Chulangani Fernando, who was trained by Montessori. She had moved to St. Paul to be on the training center staff there. They started a training center here also. Mm Mm-hmm for um, regular Montessori. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know what to call it, Montessori without the catechesis. Anyway, it was it was awesome. And the people from Mexico, what started this was there was an international congress that had a conference of about, I don't know, four or five days in Minneapolis. And at that conference, I met Mario Montessori and Ada, his wife, Silvana Montanaro was speaking, Sophia was speaking, and uh, I attended the conference, right, wow. because our, our yeah. school was sponsoring or helping sponsor it. So that was how I, I met those people in the very beginning. And then Sophia stayed on for five weeks to train people in catechesis. Wow. Wow, that's yeah. so exciting. What a story. That is amazing. I love that you and your husband did it together. Or I should say maybe your husband did it and then you followed. I love that. I love that y'all have that shared experience, but also shared conversion or shared growth that y'all have together. And that's really beautiful. And then you can also see the way God, he's like, okay, just come one more day, Carol. Okay, now now come two days. Okay, come. Yeah. You, you know, like he, he was just kind of slowly wiggling you were, your way in. And then he brought you to the catechesis through that one day at a time process with you. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's like a love story. Yes. What happened after that is I didn't start the catechesis right away, but we had learned that we couldn't have children so in the 80 so we came back in 74 and started working 75 i met sophia and then in 1979 and 80 we adopted two children from india Mm. and they came from mother Teresa's orphanages Mm. that's awesome it is (laughs) uh so we thought well we know something about india so we'll We'll get on a list. We were on a list for Korea, and we would have taken, you know, just about any child. But uh, mm-hmm. when we saw India had come into a possibility, we and we had many Indian friends at the time. Mm-hmm. So those couple of early years with the children, uh, of course, they attended Montessori school as long as we could do it. And then um, I started the atrium at my church when the children were like three and five. 
one of the mothers who, you know, when you want something good for your children, yep. you do it. Yep. You set it up, you build it. Mm-hmm. So I had the first atrium in the Twin Cities, which started in 1982 at St. Francis Cabrini Church in Minneapolis. Mm. And I have just retired from that work at that church. I'm still a formation leader, but I was there for 37 years. And we had uh, toddlers through um, fifth grade. I had a couple, I had different classes with especially homeschool families during the day. And those I could have up to sixth graders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So, but anyway, so yeah, we had a wonderful experience. Well, 37 years, Carol, that's like, that's nothing. I can't imagine. <laughs> You're already over. <laughs> We're so blessed to have that you, you've spent so many years in the service of the children in the kingdom in that way. That is amazing. Amazing. Well, one of the uh, dates I was going to talk about was uh, in 1940, 1950, um, Montessori was... 70. Yeah, she turned 70. And she was at that time, or 1949, she was in India with her son. And, you know, she's working and she's writing. And Sherry Mock said, you know, she was a lifelong learner. Well, my gosh, she was writing all the time. She was traveling all the time. Mm -hmm. And she was 70 and in India. And I'm like, oh, no, it must have been earlier than that. Anyway, it's, um, I thought, I'm 72, and I'm like, I don't know if I could keep up a schedule like that. <laughs> Can't keep up with Maria Montessori. <laughs> Heavens no. <laughs> She's some big shoes to fill that. It's like amazing. Okay, so this is what I would love to discuss with you today. This is the part of catechesis that we are going to be diving in as a series here now at the beginning of season two is Montessori. And I thought it would be really wonderful to dive into who she was and the beginning of this movement of this Montessori philosophy and education. And so Mm -hmm. I was hoping that you could walk us through who is Maria Montessori? Who is this giant of a woman that we have so much to thank her for? Mm, Yes, her life is incredible. And as I said, constant learning and constant writing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and of course all the observation of children and she was born in Chiarabale in Italy it's a city on the coast mm-hmm. uh, the east coast of Italy on August 31st in 1870 and I had the privilege of visiting that city oh, wow. and lecturing in that city uh, in Rome, we had the celebration of 100 years, and that was a huge, huge conference and attended by I don't know how many thousand people. Uh, but Renilda spoke at that, uh, Silvana, Sophia sent Francesca to speak on her behalf, mm-hmm. and then all many different celebrities in the Montessori world. But one of the choices we could make was to do a two-day trip to Chiaravalle, where she was born. And so we went to her apartment where she was born, to the church she was baptized. uh, And they lived there for only five years. Uh, Her apartment there is now a museum. Oh, that's what I was going to ask is, do they have it like set aside as like, this is where Maria Montessori grew up? 
Well, it's still an apartment in a complex. Uh-huh. So you, you just go up the stairs to that floor and it's a small apartment. But each room, of course, is a has different mementos and documents and wow. first editions and uh, several of the Montessori materials. So she lived there for like five years. Is that what you said? Five years. Yes. And then she was an only child. And the parents decided to move to Rome so that she could get better education. Mm. And uh, so she went to Rome and she started attending a boys' school. And her first um, idea was to become an engineering, an engineer. Wow. And she loved science from the very beginning and she wanted to be an engineer, but then changed to uh, medicine and her father said no, and her mother said no. Uh, she should be a teacher because that was like what women did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they became a teacher or a mother. But she pursued it, and she took two years of um, training in order to satisfy the testing to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. And so in 1896, at the age of 26, she graduates from medical school. Wow. One of the first women in Italy. Wow. Uh, yeah. A doctor of medicine degree from the University of Rome. And that same year, this was in July, about a month later or two in September, she was asked to deliver an address um, at the it- Italian International Women's Congress in Berlin. So she began also her work with rights of women and the rights mm, of children, Wow. rights of women with equal pay for equal work. And it's 1896. Also, she starts studying the works of Sagan and Itard. And then she goes on to more schooling when she becomes interested in the work of Itard and Sagan and goes back and gets a degree in anthropology. And at the same time, she's like from 1897 on, she's attending congresses in Rome and uh, London and different cities in Europe, all about women, women's rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, and then she also gets involved in voters, voters' rights for women. And so this is all way before the Casa dei Bambini. And it's an incredible amount of work and traveling already in her very young life and while she's getting a second degree like she's already a doctor and now she's getting this second degree in anthropology and she's speaking all over italy one of the few female doctors like she's not even 30 and she's already hit some really major accomplishments Mm -hmm. and all of this you know people have said this before that many of her ideas and her uh desires of what she wanted to support a lot of that was way ahead of of her Mm -hmm. time yeah you know she was really ahead of her time in in terms of education and rights of women Mm -hmm. and voting rights and so on so she was very intent on mothers and children and i think most people have read about how she was so taken by the the poor the women who would sit at the church, the doors of the church, mm-hmm. and beg for food for themselves and their children. 
she says the denouncing of women's work oh wait a minute it was in the direction of safeguarding motherhood women's health and also their children's health that the criticism was made of women's overworking mm-hmm. <laughs> as if right overworking to take care of your children an issue very dear to montessori that also appeared to suggest legislative actions to protect women's labor she did not overlook the contradictions in society with regard to labor organization which focused on production and not on the human being and to the technological progress that lacked guidance she also identified with the children who were working in inhuman conditions she underlined the children working in sulfur mines conditions which compromise their future as men in healthy body and spirit she defended the law under discussion in the italian parliament that prohibited the use of children under 14 years oh my goodness imagine 14 yeah. years of age in the mines for montessori it was a matter of giving correct, concreteness to a new social motherhood that went over and beyond the boundaries So she was a very active feminist person who worked for the rights of children and also the votes of women. It's crazy to think of the effect that Maria Montessori had on society, not just in mm-hmm. Italy but in the world outside of her work with children in the educational field. you know like all of this social reform and the, the things that she advocated for the effect that she had just in that area of her life that's mm-hmm. it's amazing and she belonged to all kinds of committees and um institutions like she joined the theosophical society quite early uh which was a society about education and the spirit of of people not mm-hmm. some it was often When I started in Montessori it was often referred to as new age but it mm-hmm. it really wasn't mm-hmm. new age it was about education and intelligence and having the right conditions to learn mm-hmm. but she had membership in women's organizations uh also of course her medical career was still going on she taught anthropology at the medical school and at the University of Rome um and then it was in 1900 or so that she started working uh with the psychiatric clinic and was appointed the director of the orthophrenic school which was a model school for training teachers of children with developmental disabilities so this as most people know have know this part about her life that she um observed and worked with these needy children so her second degree she finishes around 1902 and all through this she's lecturing um anthropology and biology in the University of Rome School of Education incorporating her clinical observations of pupils in Rome's elementary schools and as she lectured these things are what these lectures became her books and i just want to point out that is exactly what happened with sophia and the course in 1975 that the lecture she gave you guys ended up being like ways to nurture the relationship with god etc uh it became the religious potential of the child oh religious potential of the child yes yes those lectures so that is kind of how uh montessori's 
many, many publications would happen because she would give speeches at conferences or she would be teaching in a class and those things would be compiled uh, and later published. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she has extensive amount of books that they mm-hmm. from her talks or whatever that that we have of hers. It's amazing how many are out there. And there are many lectures that are uh, reprinted, like in the um, yeah, yeah. Montessori uh, co- um, collections and journals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of them. I have to say, I just love the fact that Maria's work with children began with children of varying abilities. Mm-hmm. I just think that is such a beautiful beginning to this back in the early 1900s that this began with children of varying abilities. And I think that that's a testimony to us now, both in Montmaria in the Montessori schools, but also in Catechesis Good Shepherd, um, that that is where our foundation is. That is where our roots are, is in working with children of varying abilities. And I think that that's kind of a testimony to what catechesis is capable of. I just think that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by 1909, her books were published in 20 different languages. Wow. <laughs> and these were um, uh, the books on anthropology and um, the experiments that she conducted with the, the children with disabilities. Um, anyway, by 1910, she makes a statement that based on observation and all of the people who opened Montessori schools after they visited Rome and saw the, what was called the new children, they, she said about her work that it was uh, served children of all cultures and they all reacted the same way. So they had, you know, meeting the child's needs, as we talk about, helps the child to be who they really are. Mm-hmm. And by 1910, after only three years of her school in San Lorenzo, she says that this meets all children of economic differences, of caste, of culture. So then she keeps writing (laughs) and she starts giving courses. So another thing that I found quite interesting is that in 1911, she resigns her teaching post at the university and gives up her medical practice to go into education. And more model schools are set up in Paris and New York and Boston. And in 1912, another book is published, The The Montessori Method, in an edition of 5,000 copies was published in New York. They made 5,000 copies. They were sold out immediately. Wow. And then she goes back to Rome, 1913, and has the first international training course in her apartment in Rome. (laughs) So I'm going, okay, what's this with having your stuff in your house? Because Sophia had her atriums in her house, and now they're at Francesca's apartment. And um, the NAMTA, when the North American Montessori Teachers Association started, it was in the home of David and Barbara Kahn in Cleveland. Uh, It was on their third floor. So I 
the term children's house it mm-hmm. might more be um, the house of learning in many different mm-hmm. venues. It's just striking. That yeah, maybe people- it has something to do with this idea that it's not this separate thing. It is a way of life. It is, mm. you know, like in, in intertwined into our breathing. It is intertwined into our daily living, into our families, into our education, not this separate thing. Okay, we're going to go over here and be Montessori for a little bit. Let's now leave and go back to our normal way of being. And I think that that's the case for the Montessori method, its true version, and as well as Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. It's, it changes the way that we are with our life and with children and with God and it becomes a way of breathing. So it almost makes sense that it's in your home because it's just, you know, right here where life happens is right here in my home. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and I know several Montessori guides in the Twin Cities who started their Montessori schools in their homes as yeah. well. And there's many uh, homeschool families that, of course, have their schools at home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, their atria at home as well. So in 1913, when she is in America, she meets with Alexander Graham Bell, the McClure's, uh, President Wilson's daughter, Margaret Woodrow Wilson, and they begin a Montessori Educational Association. Now, this is before AMS has started. This is way, way before that. But in the United States, they started this association. And... She would come and give courses here. There are several books I should mention. If you go to the AMI website, there are several books of lectures that are published. And one book in particular were lectures she gave to sisters, nuns in California. And so there's a lot of other resources about the religious work Mm -hmm. that I think are not as well known as, of course, the CGS published books. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. There are many things uh, you can find about Montessori. The other books I, I would recommend also are like Education and Peace, because she was a pacifist. Mm-hmm. And one of the favorite quotes I love is, there is a science of war, but there does not exist a science of peace. Mm. Okay, what else can we say? In 1913 and 14, she starts international training courses and international congresses. So as we move through 1914 to the 1920s, she starts in uh, Barcelona, in Paris, in Copenhagen, different European cities begin having international Montessori conferences that are annual events. It amazes me how fast all of this happened. Like she had that first children's house January 6, 1907. And you're talking mm-hmm. about 10 years later, just yeah. a year later, there were five other houses. So, I mean, such a quick mm-hmm. turnover right there. But within 10 years, she's all over the globe. Like her mm-hmm. her houses are all over the globe and she's teaching people from all over the world. And within 10 years, that's amazing how fast everything yes. moved. It is quite fast. Well, even, yes, 1907 to 1913, the first training course in her apartment in Rome. Yeah. And people coming from all over the United States. So also one of the things I've tried to collect are the books by people who came to visit those new children. Mm -hmm. And there are several uh, books like that that are from the 
early 1900s that I've collected for our archives Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the catechesis. She also spoke and was published um, by the National Education Association in New York on her system of education. Uh, And then we know she moves to Barcelona in 1916. Now, one of the interesting things it says in this biography that I followed is that she went to Barcelona at the invitation of the city government to set up schools there. Oh, wow. And yes, and I always understood it was the priest from Barcelona who wrote to her to come and do a children's house in the church. So I think that needs to be figured out what came first. Maybe they both (laughs) happened or the priest went to the government to say, please let this woman come and build schools here. So she actually moved to to Barcelona and her fourth book appears called The Advanced Montessori Method. And then she goes back to London and she goes to Amsterdam and just travels and travels. And in 1922 is the first book about the religious materials, which was called The Child in the Church. So that first publication uh, was written in 1922, and in English it was published in 1929. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people are not aware of that book, that Maria Montessori had this beautiful idea of the religious side of children, and it's mm-hmm. not just about the mind and the body. She believed in the whole person, including the spiritual side, and that book speaks into that. And it's amazing because that book was written so much so much, like what, what about 25 years or so before Sophia and Gianna started working with children? Yes, yes. And what I find interesting, and um, I want people to know out there, the catechists to know, that when we had our course in 1975, mm-hmm. The Child in the Church was the only book that was available. Oh, wow. And it was out of print. Oh, man. <laughs> what so did y'all do? only a few of us had it. I know. Only a few of us had it. And part of, partly that was because of Mr. Yostin and his awareness of he was a convert to Catholicism mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of Montessori, just like E.M. Standing and some of the other of her disciples. So that was what we had was that book. And many people didn't have that book. And if you look for it on eBay now, it's like, $200 or something. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the CGSUSA store, I think we sell it. Yes, you do now. Yes. It, it, it was, it was out of print for a while. And then mm-hmm. sometime recent past, it, it became in print again. So it's yes. a little bit more accessible. But man, that's hard. So y'all had to read The Child in the Church as part of your formation? No. We but just, that was the only text you had. That was the only text we I had. Understand. Wow. Yeah. And so also when we had our courses in the very beginning for several years, all of our material pages, we had to draw and measure and photograph Mm -hmm. ourselves. I know. And our albums, we, everything was uh, handwritten or typed. Um, Yes, we are totally spoiled right now with our online material manual (laughs) and Google Drive and all of these beautiful things. Um, Mm -hmm. I know I hear the stories of y'all drawing the pictures, the materials and measuring it out and all of that. And it makes me very grateful for all the men and women who created our material manual online for us. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, it's that's amazing too. I mean, it's for us. It's kind of I think for those of us who've been around for a while, it seems fast to us, like 1975 to 19 2020. <laughs> that all this has happened. I mean, it's an exponential growth. It's international. It's ecumenical. Um, there are so many publications and. You know, references are so easy to find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, it's amazing. Yeah. Very but man, when you look back at Marie Montessori and how much she did in 10 years in the early 1900s with no computer, I'm, you know, <laughs> she, she was moving fast. She was definitely moving fast. So Carol, tell us, how did she end up in India? Okay. Well, that was an um, interesting story. Um she well first i wanted to say in 1929 she and mario founded the association montessori international mm. and their first headquarters were in berlin and then moved to amsterdam and meanwhile in the 20s also 1924 um the opera montessori national was founded in rome and they are that is where I took my assistance to infancy training mm. in 2006. So they have a huge uh, archival library, which you are most welcome to visit. Uh, the same in Amsterdam. I've been to both libraries. Wow. Yeah, that's a treat all in itself. <laughs> so along the way, she meets um, Anna Freud. And uh, in India, she meets Tagore and... Gandhi, they end up in India because of the war. And in 1933, uh, as Hitler is taking over, the Nazis destroy the Montessori movement in Germany and close all the schools. Oh, my goodness. And in another um, section about the biography, it talks about her effigy was burned. Oh, my goodness. In the square with her books. Oh, my goodness. In Germany. And she had started a relationship with Mussolini and the schools in Italy, but Mussolini, of course, changed his mind, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the coup in Spain also closed her schools. Oh, wow. And oh, so she eventually lives in, Nether- in the Netherlands. And it says, in 1936, there were over 200 Montessori schools in the Netherlands. And the publication comes out, The Secret of Childhood. That is one of the best books to read, I would say, for people who want to know how she felt um, and kind of follows the quotations that Sherry Mock referred to. The Secret of Childhood. The Secret of Childhood. Mm. Mm-hmm. She, is, she was changing from a, a medical person to an educator and looking at all the different possibilities of education. And she had already started revising some of her books as well. So that, I mean, there's another thing, like when Rebecca talks about Sophia revising the history of the kingdom, those were changes that Sophia made herself, and the same with Montessori. So there's a very interesting book published about the book Montessori wrote, The Discovery of the Child, Mm -hmm. and there are five editions of that book. And so you can follow her thinking pattern by seeing what those changes are, what she takes out, what she puts back in. And in one of the early versions of the discovery, there's a whole chapter on religious education, but Mm. it's later taken out. 
Mm. Uh, and there were photographs also that were removed that show the children working with religious materials. So there, I mean, there's so many ways to go if you want to do research. It's just amazing. So in the late 1930s, she and Mario are invited to do some training in India, and they go to India together, but the war breaks out, and that is what keeps them in India for several years because they had Italian passports, and the Italians were in the war, and the Indian government put them under house arrest. So for most of the time they lived in Chennai, which was formerly called Madras, they started training. I mean, they just started teaching people. The She's not going to sit still. <laughs> no, she didn't sit no. still at all. And uh, they went to um, a place in the hill, in the hill country it was called, Kodai Canal. And she and Mario lived in a place called Rose Cottage. And you can go and visit that place, uh, Mar Maria's um ideas about cosmic education and the connection to the earth and creation mm -hmm. came from that time that they stayed there. Mm. They were two years at Rose Cottage and the rest of the time in Chennai. Wow. And then to think of then the ripple effect of those aha moments that she had while living in India, like cosmic education and the ripple effect then it has on catechesis now mm -hmm. that we learn so much. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I read that she trained over 1,500 men and women from India while she was there during the war. Oh, that's quite possible. Isn't she that moved amazing? around a lot. Yes, because she she had a course in Ahmedabad. She had courses in um, Hyderabad and Sri Lanka. As I said, Mrs. Fernando, who I worked with for 12 years, she was trained by Montessori 19 in the 1940s while she was in India. And she had a huge course there in Colombo, Sri Lanka. So, yes. And the whole idea, ideas about cosmic education just expanded in her mind. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they did a lot of work on materials while they were there, too, developing materials. Is it true that... The small tables that we use in the atrium and also in the Montessori classroom, I call them chalkies. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correct. That that came from her time in India, these small yes. tables? Chalkies, yes. Chalkies, that's how you pronounce it? Chalkies. Chalkies. C-H-O-W-K-I. C-H-O-W-K-I. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I'll tell you that when we had our training in India, we used chalkies. We, well, when we had lectures, we sat in chairs and took notes in our lap. Uh, we didn't have desk chairs, so it was pretty amazing. And then when we had our final written exams, we wrote them at Chalkies. So imagine sitting on the floor doing your exams for three hours. <laughs> wow. But, but they are wonderful um, additions. And, and, again, something that children can move. Mm -hmm. There was a lot in... Uh, certain books that you can find how she developed the materials for the room, the child's chair and the child's table and mm -hmm. the balance beam and those things that would be make the room belong to the children and not to the adults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she spent seven years in India. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then she came back 
but she went back again to do more courses there. So she came home uh, around 1947, and they settled in Amsterdam. She did not want to go back to Italy to live because mm. of what Mussolini had done to her schools. Right, right. Uh, but within a year, they go back, she and Mario go back to give training in three or four different cities, including um, what was called Bombay, is now uh, Mumbai. Uh, so they also work on developing the elementary materials in well during those seven years in India, but they go back and continue the work with the elementary child wow. through 12 years. Yeah, I totally understand her not wanting to go back to where she was before, because I bet that that was just heartbreaking for her to have worked so hard and helped so many people build all of those schools and they just be destroyed. Like, I know that we are so heartbroken whenever an atrium has to close. I can't mm -hmm. even imagine the extent that she felt because of the sheer number of schools mm -hmm. that were closed mm -hmm. and burned. And man, that, that must have been very hard for her. I, yes, I can't imagine. And during her time in her second trip to India, uh, she writes the book called From Childhood to Adolescence. Mm. And that focuses on the older child. Mm -hmm. And then new editions of her other books started to come out again. And then in uh, 1949, 50, and 51, she was no nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize because wow. of her pacifism. Yes. Wow. It's really unfortunate she didn't get it, but she was nominated three years in a row. Hey, being nominated is a huge well, accomplishment. Like, yes, wow. right. <laughs> and three times, too. Wow. What mm -hmm. a woman. What a woman. I know. I mean, she had a lot of pluck or, you yeah. know, stamina and um, really... Mm -hmm. And she really was a perpetual learner, and nothing stopped her. She kept moving forward. She kept learning, and she kept growing. And, oh, it's beautiful. And uh, she, you were mentioned earlier that there were a few people who even were converted by her faith. So that says that she mm -hmm. was this full person, that she, she was very smart, and she was very universal. But she still was very grounded in her faith to the point where it influenced other people to mm -hmm. grow in their faith. What a beautiful woman with huge shoes to fill, huge shoes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a little quote here. She says, the subject of our study is humanity. Our purpose is to become teachers. Now, what really makes a teacher is love for the human child, mm. or it is love that transforms the social duty of the educator into the higher consciousness of a mission. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. It is love that is going to change us from just being, here's this information that I must impart on you, mm -hmm. to a true educator, a true respect of the person that's sitting in front of me. And I think that that's one of the biggest gifts that Marie Montessori has given us is to open up our eyes to seeing this child that is before us as not an empty vessel, but as somebody as in that deserves equal respect as we do. Um, mm -hmm. And she devoted her life to that that belief and that the respect the child deserves in all capacities. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And in 1914, when she writes about the child being self-directed 
because of the environment, how we provide the environment. Mm -hmm. She says, I did not invent a method of education. I simply, (laughs) simply gave some little children a chance to live. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It, that, um, and that's amazing because of what it implies about before her or mm-hmm. even today without this, the philosophies in which she spoke about. She gave them the tools to which to live. Mm-hmm. And when she, uh, she continued to work, so I'm thinking, okay, she was 70 and now she's like, um, she was 82 when she died. So these are her late 70s that she's still touring, you know, mm-hmm. all yeah. these different cities in down. Europe, mm-hmm. not slowing down, giving courses, speaking at conferences. And uh, her last training, it says here, was done in Innsbruck, Austria in 1951. And then the beautiful story about her death is that she and Mario had been invited to go to Ghana uh, to have a course in Ghana. And so they did not have experience about Africa. So he went out of the room to get a, an atlas so they could look up where Ghana was. And uh, while he was out of the room, she died in her chair. Mm. But imagine at 82, ready to go again and do another course and start, you know, take the Montessori work and ideas to a new country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty amazing. That is amazing. She is such an inspiration. So, oh, a couple of historical points to make. After 75, when Sophia came to St. Paul, then she, the next year she went to Chihuahua. She was invited by the Mexicans who had come. So the reason there were a lot of um, Mexican people uh, at the course is because it started with that conference I talked about. Mm-hmm. An international conference it was held uh, with all these special speakers, and then 30 of us stayed on. And what is interesting is that at that time, we were all Montessori trained. All the, Those 30 people almost all had Montessori wow. um, degrees and had Montessori schools, but had been yearning and hoping some people didn't even know that Sophia existed, mm-hmm. uh, and they they didn't even know about the child in the church. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting that it happened also so fast that the next thing we knew she was in Mexico, Sophia. And then uh, we, then she went to DC and gave a course in 1983. And we invited her back to St. Paul in 1984 and 1985. And in 1984, we elected the first board of directors, which I served on and Rebecca and Barbara Kahn and Sandy Yannickus and Catherine Mareska. And also in 1984, we started the newsletter. We used to call it a newsletter, not the journal. Now it's pretty fancy, so it's a journal. (laughs) (laughs) But we started that in our first issue also. We published on January 6th, 1984 because of the connection. Because of the anniversary. Mm Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then after St. Paul, Sophia went to Toronto in 86 and 87. And then she stopped traveling 
across uh, the ocean. At that point, she she got ill in Toronto, and she said, "I can't cross the ocean anymore." Yeah. So, but she still kept on working so hard. Uh, I know, just like Maria, Rome. she yes. she continued to work her whole mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. They believed in this, and they it was their life. You know, like we were speaking about earlier that. You know, it wasn't this separate thing that's your job that you retire from. It was a way of being. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That definitely they a vocation. In. Yeah, definitely a vocation. Definitely. And both of them, these these women have inspired so many other people to mm-hmm. take this on as their own vocation as well. It's been a really neat ripple effect to see the effect that God had using these women Mm-hmm. Um, and the effect on uh, so many other people that they had. Well, Carol, it is so neat to hear this story. It's so neat to see how God has been slowly working in your life, in Maria Montessori's mm-hmm. life. It's just, I, I really appreciate you being willing to share the depth of the gift that Maria Montessori was to all of us and still is to all of us. Thank you so much, Carol. We really appreciate your work with with Catechesis, but also for sharing with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to this very first episode of Season 2 of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. I would like to invite everyone into helping us to share this podcast, share the whole podcast, share this specific episode with anybody that you think might enjoy it. A fellow friend, a fellow catechist, a fellow parent, share it with anybody who might benefit. Help us to share the work of these amazing women with more people. I have some links to some books and also some websites for you if you want to dive more into Montessori. We also have a few episodes that we have previously done that piggyback with the Montessori theme for this series. The top ones that I'm going to recommend are episode 28, like I said before, on Montessori's Epiphany. There's also episode four on normalization, Montessori's concept of normalization, and episode 20 on the Montessori concept of freedom and discipline. So links to those episodes are in the show notes, but you can also just find them on your podcast app. CGS USA also publishes a journal every year that is full of articles to help with your continual growth. And this year's journal is all about Montessori. So if you are a CGS USA member, you should have already received your journal for this year. If you are not yet a member, you could go to cgsusa.org. You can also go to the website and purchase the journal. There is a link in our show notes in order to do those things. So that's this year's journal, 2021. That's all about Montessori. And I also heard that next year's journal, 2022, will also be about Montessori. So exciting. So we are currently doing our annual appeal for the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And the association offers us a lot of resources to help with our work with the children. Through their joy, through their wonder and awe, and their capacity for love and prayer, their radical simplicity, the children offer adults a glimpse into what it means to fall in love with God. This has been the work of the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd for almost 40 years now to advocate for the child's joy. And each year, 
CGS USA provides catechist formation. It publishes new books for continual study and contemplation, and it continues to support catechists and and religious leaders across the nation and also all over the world in helping children find their own path to God's love. So we are humbly asking all of our listeners to continue to help us to support this effort by please giving to our annual appeal. There will be a link in our show notes to donate. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all our contributing members for making this podcast possible. To learn more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd or to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.